either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We've got beasts and priests for Easter weekend, and clones, and uh, some more stuff too. Zombies, I think. <laughs> we do have zombies. zombies. That's a that's an action-packed Easter weekend. <laughs> uh, welcome. <laughs> this is the Screening Room Podcast. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Yes, leading the charge into the theaters this Easter weekend is Albus Dumbledore assigning Newt and his allies with a mission related to the rising power of Grindelwald. It's Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. The time is closed, my brothers and sisters. Our war with the Muggles begins today! The world as we know it is coming undone. If we're to defeat him, you'll have to trust me. Mr. Kowalski, we need you. I said I want an out and I want out. Dumbledore asked that I give you something, Jacob. What you're doing is madness. With or without you, I'll burn down their world. There's nothing you can do to stop me. Things are not quite what they appear. A lot of wasted talent. Yeah, this is number three now in the Fantastic Beast series, right? Yep. And this goes back, of course, it's part of the, well, Dumbledore. It tells you right in the in the t- title there that it's part of the Harry Potter universe. And we go back a long way with the Harry Potter <laughs> yes, franchise. We do. I mean, our our kid, our son, was so into Harry Potter, it was crazy. It so was. we followed along with the books and and with the movies. And by the time the movies were done, I thought that it wrapped up in just grand fashion. Just fantastic. And David Yates directed, as he does this movie, many of those mm-hmm. movies, including the two, the last two, which I thought were among the best. But just from the start, this whole franchise just has had trouble being compelling. And you made a, make a good point of what really is the source for this entire franchise. It's just like a little mini book, like a pamphlet almost. Yeah. Um, J.K. Rowling wrote... For, it was a it was a charity event. It was to raise money for I think comic relief for that organization. Oh. She wrote a little companion piece to yeah. go with her books, and it's essentially a I remember textbook. our son getting yeah, it. It's yeah, a, it's a, it's like a little textbook, uh, Harry Potter's textbook. Yeah. by Newt Scamander about Fantastic Beasts. So it's just a Cute little little thing. Yeah, yeah, a little thing that kind of chronicles all of the magical animals in the yeah. Harry Potter kingdom, and then uh, you know Harry Potter sort of doodles on it or draws a little thing or, or makes little notes. So there's no narrative, there's no story or characters in it, and that so that makes it tough because instead of, you know, in the Harry Potter books, you've got these massive books that they're trying to, you know, pare down to a running time. Well, here they've got literally no story at all, and they're trying, and, the, and, and for some reason they still go with a bloated, like, 220 for every single one of these films. Yeah, so they've had to flesh it out from just this very thinnest of source material, which it still can be done with great writing. And the screenplay here is done by Rowling and Steve Cloves. And I think like all of the installments in this series so far, it just has a hard time because it's balancing or it's swimming in between the magical wonder, the childlike wonder that we saw with the Harry Potter series as those kids grew up with some adult themes. And it it just, because it's now it's an adult world. And to me, it just never gets a hold of anything compelling. And you've got all these different, well, especially for this one, you've got all these the effects of these animals, these magical animals, and some of those are fine. 
But just even from the very beginning, the palette of the entire movie is so dark. Mm-hmm. Everything just seems so drab. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I have had a tough time with all three of these films. I find them dull. I do, and too. And the one really selling point for me in the first and the second, particularly the first, was that it did look great. There were these really gorgeous very brightly colorful, very magical um, sequences with these animals that I just loved. The, from the very beginning, the very opening sequence in in this third installment, that's really the only time you get a lot to do with one of these magical al- animals, and it's very dark. Mm-hmm. It's dark and muddy. It's hard very. to figure out what's going on. So there's nothing, and then it never picks up from there. None of the magical sequences struck, struck me as being particularly intriguing to look at. So you you've lost everything that was decent in the other installments and you're left with the same problems that you had in the other installments. So there's, there are simply too many characters. There's no real depth. You don't care particularly what's going on. Yeah, and I find, I mean, Eddie Redmayne, not Eddie Redmayne personally, but I find this character, Newt, to be annoying. And I am interested in the backstory of young Dumbledore. Yeah. I am. That interests me. But it's but not here. He's almost a a secondary character that just comes in and out to do a spell here and do a spell there and then and disappear. And this one is rooted in his years-long relationship and now rivalry with Grindelwald, mm-hmm. who is now was played in the second film, the last one, by uh, Johnny Depp, and has now the role has been taken over by Mads Mikkelsen, who's a who we said many times, great actor, love Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, and it's an interesting it's an interesting choice. I mean, Mikkelsen is. He's always great, but he is a great heavy. He's a really good villain. His his approach to this villain is really, really different from it Johnny is. Depp's. It now, is. I, I thought that Johnny Depp was the highlight of the second film. Agreed. He did a very, very good job with that character. So it's interesting. I, I'm not, that's not to slight the way Mickelson chose to approach it, but it's it's very noticeably different. It He's, is. Whereas, whereas Johnny Depp was sort of, you know, campy and, you know, in kind of a Tim Burtonish character sort of a way. What he does, his comfort right. zone. Right. Mm-hmm. Mickelson is is all sort of elegance, and uh, it's a much more understated approach. Again, I'm not faulting either one. I thought both approaches were interesting, but they seem like different characters. And both he and the script take Grindelwald in a very, in a, in a direction that really recalls some current political climates. Very much so. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and it's clear that that's intentional. I mean, oh, if, yeah. you, if you keep an eye on the newspaper that's being read, the word triumph keeps kind of getting <laughs> folded in on itself. What? what? You noticed that as, too, he's, huh? as he's trying to steal an election, yeah. which in a number of ways, given the material and the um, creative minds behind this, seemed ironic at best. Yeah. It, it just seemed uh, much, I don't, like you said at the beginning. And it just seemed like much do about nothing. Yeah. They, they want to really boost it into that Harry Potter type of storytelling, and it's just not there. No, because it you just know isn't what? There. There's no central character and conflict to pin it on, right? Mm-hmm. Harry Potter is a coming of age. It's a hero's journey. It's a very it's a classic. hero's journey. It's a very yeah. classic hero's journey, mm-hmm. coming of age, um, long told story. Yep. And you start with him as he's a little kid. You love him to pieces. You love his friends. But you have one character that you are pinning everything on. Now, to be honest, Newt Scamander is a much less interesting character. Eddie Redmayne is really saddled with just a big ball of cork. But also, it's not a coming-of-age story. And he's kind of a secondary character in this particular story. So there's just no there's no heart. Yeah. You know, there's no central nervous system mm-hmm. to these 
to these films, mm-hmm. there's nothing to pin anything on. It's just a weird uh, amalgamation of minor characters and no main plot. Yeah, agreed. And once again, the, the running time, it just goes on too long. This is just 2.20, and it just feels like a slog again. I'm just going to admit this. At one point, I turned into butter in my seat, and I just ran onto the floor. <laughs> I really did. I was like, oh, my God, this movie is still going on. Dramatic. <laughs> So, yes, we didn't, care. we didn't much care for Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, out in theaters now. This next one was released early uh, in the week leading up to Easter, and it follows the life of Father Stuart Long, a boxer-turned-priest who inspired countless people during his journey from self-destruction to redemption. This is Father Stu. Your son is about to make a huge mistake. Well, I'm going to be a priest. For Halloween. I'm praying for you, Bill. Don't you dare. You're violating my rights. There's a man going around taking names. We've all been wrong, and we've all done some wrong. But he came to forgive us. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There is no easy way to deliver this news. You have a progressive muscle disorder. Who are you here to visit, sir? Father Stu. You and everybody else. When the man comes around. I wish you can pray for an easy life. But the strength to endure a difficult one. And all week we've both been calling it Father Biff because <laughs> <laughs> any old David Letterman fans remember Father Biff. But no, this is Father Stu, and yeah, true story, Stuart Long was his name, a Montana native, and he was a Golden Gloves boxer who then decided he wanted to be an actor and got a couple of bit parts and commercials before he had a conversion, had a calling to the priesthood late in life. And it was already going to be a, a tough, unlikely road. And then, in the middle of it, he got a tragic medical diagnosis that made it even harder. And this is the story. Mark Wahlberg is the star. He also put up a lot of his own money to bring it to the screen. And he also took some time off of his very well-known training schedule to add about 30 pounds uh, to play this uh, this priest uh, later on in his life. So, it is an interesting story, and of course, this not being a documentary, it is embellished. Sure. But it, it still is interesting, especially starting with the fact that it is not, even though it deals with very religious themes, it's not a fa- it's not doesn't fall into the faith-based genre. Well, number one, it's rated R. Right. Because it's got a lot of salty language. Um, Father Stu liked to drop a few, drop a few F-bombs, even after he got converted, but especially before. And... And Mark Wahlberg is very effective, mostly in the early going, because that's sort of his comfort zone, playing this guy who, he's not a con man, but he's looking for angles. You know, he's looking for, this is how I'll make my my hay as a boxer. No, this is how I'll make it as an actor. And oh, and then he just latches on to that plan, and this is what he's obsessed with. And that's why when he becomes obsessed with being a priest, people around him think, oh, this is just your latest thing. There's there's no way. This is This is not you. And so the film sells us on the fact that, no, it really was. And that's where Wahlberg runs into a little trouble as far as his performance. Once he makes that that conversion, it's just not, it doesn't really come across as much of a change of heart as it should. Now, we've said many times, Wahlberg can be a very effective actor, often when he has a very effective director. Right. I mean, he's great in Boogie Nights. He's great in The Departed. But those are two of the greatest directors of all time. Yeah, this is the writer-director here is Rosalind Ross doing her, this is her de- feature debut. And she does get her get some really effective shots in. There are some, there's a sequence where Father Stu, well, before he's a father, when he's getting baptized as a Catholic, and she sets that 
to a very ironic soundtrack choice that I thought was just just wonderful. Very well done. And there's a scene where Stu is telling his his girlfriend, who really led him into the Catholic faith, that he's going to leave their relationship behind by being a celibate priest. And that one is handled with some nuance as well. And I think even though it's not, quote-unquote, faith-based, as we said, it does a good job of, of handling religion more realistically than a lot of those faith-based ones do, like how it's accepted into maybe normal people's lives and how it can make a difference in those that already are not converted. And she also builds the entire movie around the tenet that suffering, a life of suffering, gets you closer to God. And that is something that, as Stu continues to suffer, he embraces and preaches that that is a good thing and that will get him closer to God in the long run. So that's very uh, interesting the way she, she anchors the entire film around that belief. But the film does feel rushed in spots, as a lot of these biographies do, when the writer or director get the feeling that they have to fit everything in, and in, in doing so sort of skirt over the importance of some smaller moments that they might have focused on otherwise. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a rivalry once he gets, Stu gets into the seminary with a, another seminarian that feels a little forced, a little manipulative. But there are some things here to like, for sure. And Mel Gibson is here again. Boy, we've seen a lot of him lately, haven't mm-hmm. we? Uh, He plays Stu's father, long estranged, and he's a real alcoholic SOB, which lately you're saying, well, that's Mel Gibson's comfort zone as well. And it's actually, it's nice to see that he kind of dials down the SOB part of it, that it's not so cartoonish. You know, it it really seals, it really seems like they are authentically estranged. It's worth noting that uh, two Hollywood bad boys who are known for being Catholics are playing two bad boys who are... uh, redeemed by Catholicism. Right. I mean, that's clearly done on purpose. Oh, yeah, and I think we've seen Mark Wahlberg gravitate toward these. His last one, the uh, movie Joe Bell, yeah. followed a similar type of arc because his past as a young man getting into trouble is pretty well known, and now he's a devout Catholic. So putting and putting up his own money for this movie, you yeah. can see why he was drawn to this. So, sure. yeah, it's it's solid. It's it's certainly not great, but there is there is something here, and it's a, if you don't know the story— of uh, Father Stuart Long. It's interesting to learn about him as well. And uh, I didn't mention Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver plays uh, Stu's mother. Always great to see her. Always. And I got to give a a shout-out to uh, Teresa Ruiz, who plays Carmen, uh, Stu's girlfriend. She's also very good here as well. So, yeah, there's there's some solid work, especially for Easter weekend. If you're looking something along those lines, inspirational, uh, somewhat faith-based. Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like... I feel like they deserve Wahlberg in particular credit for, you know, having the bravery to put out a film that is rated R, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that that is realistic. It's not one of those, you know, uh, glossy sort of, you know, rose-colored glasses, faith-based type films. Well, it's, it, it, it's, but it's it's much more realistic and yes. accessible to people who are living a regular life. I mean, I I because it's less likely to make money. So good for him for putting up his own cash for it, that. Well, what it doesn't do that so many of the faith based movies do is pander to its audience, right? Knowing that we've got you already, right? So we're not going to make anything nuanced. We're just going to hammer the message that you already believe. No, I very much appreciated that. And also, Malcolm McDowell shows up. Oh, that's as, right. as the bishop. As well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it might be worth checking out, and it is in theaters now called Father Stew. 
Let's do a sci-fi thriller next and a fun one. A woman opts for a cloning procedure after she receives a terminal diagnosis. But when she recovers, her attempts to have her clone decommissioned fail, leading to a court-mandated duel to the death. This is Duel. Hi there. I'm sure you're familiar with the process. When you know you're going to die, you can have yourself cloned. You have very clean skin. I like your shirt. Life has thrown you a curveball. You're not dying anymore. The duel to the death will be in approximately one year. Wait, did you say duel to the death? I can't have two of you walking around forever. That would be ridiculous. Do you want to live? Yes. So the title of the film is Duel, D-U-A-L, but it concerns a D-U-E-L right. through the death. And this is writer-director Riley Stearns, who you might remember from The Art of Self-Defense right. with Jesse Eisenberg a couple of years ago. And that one had a thriller-type vibe uh, underneath it. This one is in the sci-fi world. It's a very recognizable world, but it's clearly in the near future because... You're dealing with clones, and it's very similar to the plot we just saw with Mahershala Ali in Swan Song. Right. Uh, but, you know, the way that we deal with our multiple identities now, it's not surprising that we're going to see these these clone stories because people juggle their own online identity and everybody else's identity that's not real. And <laughs> so, so we might as well battle our clones. And that's what's happening here. And uh, as the synopsis said, uh, Karen Gillan is the uh, main character Sarah and she gets this diagnosis so she doesn't want to she doesn't want to have her boyfriend or her mother go through all this pain so she opts for the strategy of having a clone so the clone shows up and starts to assimilate get to know everybody and so she can take over and then oh you're not dying and so it turns out Sarah too has been in the world long enough that she can take advantage of the 28th amendment which was this dual process, uh, the, the clone is requesting a stay and they have one year to train. So that's when uh, Sarah One goes off to her battle trainer, played by um, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, and starts and has to kind of prove to him and to herself that she really wants to live. And it doesn't sound like a comedy, maybe, but it is. Yeah, it's very funny. And Karen Gillan, you know, I, I would like to see her play a role that requires uh, a bit of range of emotion, but man, if you need somebody to deliver a deadpan, mean-spirited comedy, she nails it. And that is exactly what this is calls for. They don't want an emotion here. And a very specific type of comedy that is not going to appeal to everybody. I mean, you know, we talk about all the time about how comedy is so personal. But you have to like the deadpan, yeah. and you have to like the real cold black comedy because <laughs> this is just taking our current anxieties about living. We're just coming out of a pandemic, living in a culture of death, trying to do that and navigate winning Instagram posts at the same time. That's where this movie lives and just wallows in it and pokes it and has fun with it, all just deadpan, and it doesn't budge from that type of humor. And actually, um, one of the hosts on our the TV show this morning on a TV segment said, well, do you lose track of which Sarah is which Sarah? And I said, you know, that's a good point, and I don't want to say too much because that comes into play as the movie goes along of if you can tell one from the other or not. And so that that is a good point, but that's all we should say about that. But I thought for the most part it works with some very funny segments, some of them a little bit obvious, yes, 
But also, he Stearns hides some things in the background. Early on, you got to squint a little bit to see the title of the video that Sarah is watching early on. I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was a scream. So th- <laughs> there's a lot here to like if you have that sense of humor. And if you do, I think this is a, a delightfully, wickedly devilish, cynical, biting comedy. That, <laughs> I mean, you throw all those right. in there. Throw all those words in. But I, I just had a ball with it, and it is out in theaters now called Duel. Okay, if you've been waiting for the Easter zombies we were talking about, here you go. In a zombie-infested Australian wasteland, soldier Reese has dedicated his life to tracking and capturing survivors for the Surgeon General in hopes of finding a cure. This is Wormwood Apocalypse. I'm going to make this right. So I'm going to go into that bunker, and we're going to kill every last one of those sons of bitches. Forgive me if I'm not trembling in my booties. Oh, yes. What do you do with them? What was that? Sorry. Maybe five years ago, Kaya Roach-Turner, the director, put out a zombie movie that we watched on the recommendation of a friend of ours who's Australian, and we loved it. Mm -hmm. Wormwood uh, was just a blast. You know, it took all of the zombie tropes that you're used to, but, but kind of hung them on an Australian road picture. It just gave it such dusty, mean, funny freshness, <laughs> action-packed, very enjoyable. So I was looking forward to this because I know, yeah. Rob Turner reached return. He's writing with his brother, uh, Tristan, again. I had high hopes. Yeah, it sort of reminded me of the hopes that we had for the sequel to Train to Busan, Peninsula. Yes. And they just couldn't measure up to that. Couldn't. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison because while the in both cases the sequel was fine, it was so familiar. It, yeah. All of the freshness was gone. All of the novelty was gone. And that, that often happens in a sequel. Sure. And it's certainly, it's hard to be novel with a zombie movie. But, you know, if it's a zombie sequel and you can find nothing new to say, I mean, I was entertained by it, but it's immediately forgettable. Most of the cast returns uh, even some of the people who died last time, they have oh, a twin brother to come back for this one. Um, they focus, they spend a lot more time on different characters. There are different characters who are your primary characters. So that was a little bit interesting to kind of see how they're uh, surviving and what they're up to. And they dig in a little deeper to what's going on in the outpost. So that was, mm-hmm. you know, that was left a little bit up to your imagination last time. And it's been a few years now into the post-apocalypse. And so bad things are happening at the outposts. You spend a little time inside. I mean, it's it's funny. It's gross. You know, uh, it does have a couple of very decent action sequences. Yeah, I was going to say, Roach Turner tries to amp up the energy with the camera work, yeah. uh, keeping the camera moving, constantly moving, which seems appropriate for a, a road movie. Oh, you want to yeah. keep action. You want to keep momentum and, and some of the editing to, to keep up the energy. But it just can't, like Peninsula, can't uh, fight the the feeling of a little bit of being a little bit stale. Yeah, exactly. And that is Wormwood Apocalypse out now in theaters. Hey, remember all the black and white films we had last year? Well, we got another one this year. Emily meets Camille, who is attracted to Nora, who crosses paths with Amber, three girls and a boy. They're friends, sometimes lovers, and often both. 
This is Paris, 13th district. On partage le ménage, on divise le frigo en deux et on se promène peu à peu dans l'appart. C'est tout Bah oui, quoi, c'est tout. Quoi encore Christy Robb reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com, and she loved it. Loved it. And you this know, is classified, well, they classified it on IMDb as a drama, comedy, romance all together. And yeah. she, she was totally taken in by it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeously shot in black and white. And it is, you know, it's, it is, um, it's interesting new tales. You know, it seems very mm-hmm. intimate. A lot of uh, types of characters we're not used to seeing as the leads. Um, and a lot of nakedness, a lot of just frank sexuality. <laughs> French, what? I know, but at a very languid pace. Mm-hmm. Nothing hurried, everything just... But it's it's a beautiful film. Really, I guess, mesmerizing, you yeah, know? Yeah, and one, the story, as you might guess, when it's being described as being languid, it doesn't really lecture you on anything or no. try, to, try to teach you anything, just show you these characters, maybe new characters that you're not used to seeing, uh, in films, and this this is how they live. So much so that I think uh, the setting itself, Paris, becomes maybe another another character. The city of love. The city of love. And this is writer, or co-writer and director Jacques Adiard. Maybe I pronounced that right. I hope so. But the, yeah, big recommendation. And if you want to read Christie's full review, you can find it on uh, MadWolf.com. And definitely do that because she loved it. It's out in theaters now called Paris, 13th District. All right, Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer, taking the week off, slacker. So we'll look ahead to next week, and we are looking ahead to next week because there's a couple of biggies we have been waiting on, starting with Nicolas Cage, starring as Nicolas Cage in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And maybe even more exciting for us, The Northman. The Northman. That's the latest from Robert Eggers, who did The Witch and The Lighthouse. Cannot wait for that. Also, The Bad Guys. I'm hoping that's a sequel to The Nice Guys. It's I, not. It's I don't animated. think it is. It's no. animated. <laughs> <laughs> also, Petite Maman. And Virus 32. Ooh, is that zombie? It is. All right. Stanleyville. Marvelous and the Black Hole. Surviving Theater 9. Follower. And Polar Bear. Yeah. All right. That's uh, next week's slate. But what do you think about this week? Are we wrong about Fantastic Beasts? We'd love to have you tell us why. Keep that uh, conversation going anytime. You can find us on Twitter. It's madwolf.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews uh, by the two of us and by our other writers as well. All right there at madwolf.com. That's also where you can find our other podcast, Horror Movie Only, called Fright Club. And a brand new episode starting uh, this weekend where we dive into the best horror of the 1930s. So that was a fun discussion. So find us anywhere, find us everywhere. Keep in touch if you can. We will talk next week. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>